Well, good morning, Cityville Church. My name is John. I'm the evangelism director here. So surprise, we're going to talk about evangelism today. Hope that's okay. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open it to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to be in verses 16 to the end of the chapter. Uh, I have three kids. We're about to have our fourth. And uh, I remember holding my first son when I was 20 years old in my hand. So I was a baby having babies, essentially. And I was holding him in my hands, as many of you parents probably remember. And I remember being overwhelmed with many emotions and many, many senses. But the sense that I was overwhelmed with the most was this sense of responsibility. Right? I remember holding him going, oh my goodness, I am 20 years old, and I'm about to be responsible for this young little baby boy. I was responsible to him. Many of you parents know exactly what that feels like. Well, this passage that we're going to read, we're going to see that if you have been born again, if you are a Christian, you have been saved, you have been given an amazing responsibility of being Christ's ambassador here on earth. And so my goal for this message, Lord willing, is very simple, uh, and, and, and hopefully, Lord willing, very practical as well. My goal is for all of us to walk away with a magnified, huge, amazing view of God's plan for salvation, and the word that we're going to talk about today, uh, reconciliation, and then for us to also be in just utter shock that the God of the universe the God that created you, and if you're a Christian, saved you, would allow you to take part in his plan to reconcile the world to himself. So again, if you have a Bible, open it up. We have uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. It says this, From now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead, we implore, we beg on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I love that passage of scripture. It's a go-to for me in evangelism. Uh, and essentially, it's an extension of the Great Commission. If you've grown up in the church or you're a Christian here or you're familiar with Christianity, then you probably know or have heard that, that we've been commanded by Jesus. Every Christian has been commanded by Jesus to go, right? To go and make disciples in all the nations. And, and all Christians are responsible for this. We can't get out of this. It's, it's our responsibility. In fact, it's the only reason why when we get saved, God doesn't just, you know, poof. Take us up to heaven because we have a responsibility here on earth, a responsibility to be ambassadors. And I think that most of us probably know that, uh, but I think the problem is we often grow numb 
to this great responsibility. The fact that God would save us, we grow numb to. And then we grow numb to the fact that God would allow us to take part in sharing his gospel with the rest of the world as if it's just no big deal. Like, ah, cool. No big deal. It reminds me of uh, when I met my wife, Kaylee, for the first time. Uh, we were at college together. I was a young kid, and I saw her, and I felt like that cartoon, you know, the jaw drops on the floor. I just saw her walk across. I'm like, oh, my goodness, that woman is gorgeous. Right? I got to talk to her. And so I did. Uh, she was in a group of friends, and so I went up there, and I think I asked them a question that I already knew the answer to. But I just went up there, asked them a question, and we talked for four minutes or whatnot. And then I went back to my dorm room, and lo and behold, that night, I got a notification on Facebook from Kaylee King. She wanted to be my friend. And I was pumped, right? I mean, I was so excited. I jumped off my bed, ran downstairs, bolted into my buddy's dorm room, and I just started showing him. I was like bragging about it. I was like, dude, the Kaylee, the, the hottest girl on campus, wants to be my friend. Like, she's going to start dating me. We're going to get married. Like, this is awesome. And he goes, yeah, dude, you might want to calm down. She has to be my friend on Facebook, too. <laughs> I thought all hope was lost at that moment. But we would end up getting married, thank goodness. But fast forward five years of marriage and five pregnancies later, when I see Kaylee now, it's, I almost treat it as if it's no big deal. Not that I don't think she's gorgeous. Have you seen her? She is. She's gorgeous. She's beautiful. But every time I pick up the phone, I'm just, hey, hey babe, what's going on? Almost as if I've forgotten just how excited I was at just the thought of this girl being interested in me. And honestly, we have done the exact same thing when it comes to our salvation. We've grown numb. And also our responsibility that has been given to us by, this, by the God that created everything to share this great news with others. We've just grown numb to it as if it's just no big deal. Gosh, sure, why wouldn't God give us this job? So what I want to do today, this morning, is I want to remind those of you who are Christians, those of you who have been born again, I want to remind you first of what has happened to you so that you don't grow numb to that. And then secondly, I want to remind you at just how amazing, or maybe, maybe not remind, but maybe bring to light for the first time possibly, this amazing responsibility and how truly amazing it is that God would allow us to take part in his plan. So first, it starts with reminding yourself if you're a Christian. And we're going to do that by looking at verse 19. So look at just the beginning of verse 19. It says, That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. We can stop right there. What this is saying, what Paul is saying, is that God's plan from the beginning of time, was to reconcile the broken relationship. We have a broken relationship with God. He is the perfect, righteous, holy, never sinned God, and he's reconciling the relationship with an imperfect, unrighteous, sinful man. And of course, the key word in this passage is the word reconcile, and it's used five times if you're following along there. And that word means to transform or to change completely. So uh, I couldn't think of a better illustration, so bear with me. It's like this table, right? I take this table, and I just change it completely into a dinosaur, right? I mean, that's the best I could come up with. But it'd be crazy, right? You look at that, and you go, no, that would be impossible. And you would be right. It would be impossible, which makes the word reconcile a very fitting word for humanity. Because in order 
for you to be with God in eternity, you have to be like God. Did you know that? In order for you to be with God in eternity, you have to be like God. And Jesus actually tells us this in Matthew 5.48. He says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, I'm not perfect. And that's precisely what's wrong with humanity today, right? We're not perfect. Nor could we ever do anything to gain perfection. And you don't need me up here or a professor up here telling you that. Simple logic would do just fine, right? If I hand you a test and I'm your teacher and you get the very first question wrong on that test, how many questions in a row would you have to get right in order to get back up to 100%? You wouldn't be able to, right? You need something supernatural. You need something outside of yourself. You need a supernatural transformation, You need a supernatural reconciliation, which Paul says in verse 19 is only found in Christ. Jesus is your reconciler. Jesus is the only answer to your moral conundrum. This is why all other worldviews fall short is because they don't have an answer to your moral problem. And the answer is Jesus. Look at verse 21. He, that is God the Father, made him, that is God the Son, who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. God was reconciling us to himself when Christ was taking on the sin, taking on all of our sin on the cross, absorbing the righteous, rightful wrath of God. But that's not all he was doing. He was also offering us something. He was offering us the solution to our moral problem. He was offering us his perfection, what we need most, his righteousness, so that he could reconcile us. So ask yourself, have you truly understood this here today? Have you truly understood this? If you haven't, be honest with yourself because the consequences of not understanding this are huge. And today, be reconciled to God. But if you have understood this and you, you do uh, know who Christ is and you have been reconciled to him, uh, then I urge you, do not grow numb to just how amazing this is because having a, a big, gigantic, magnified view of God's plan for reconciliation will lead you to simply just be in shock over what he does next. And what he does next is, is really unthinkable. He allows us to take place in this plan. He allows us to have a role. He gives us the job of going and telling the world about this gospel. Right? He makes us ambassadors. Look at verse, the end of verse 19 where we left off and then the beginning of verse 20. Paul says, And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, many of you probably know what an ambassador is, uh, but in ancient times, uh, what a king would do if they didn't have, uh, if he didn't have uh, 
uh, if he had a too vast of an empire, that is, uh, he, he, would, he, he would erect a statue in an area where he couldn't actually be present so that whoever was in that area that didn't actually know who the king was or what the king looked like, that they would know what the message of the king was, which is, I'm in charge, don't mess around, right? That's what would happen. And essentially, as Christians, that is exactly what we are. We are statues of King Jesus Statues of King Jesus here on earth to relay the message of what King Jesus has done to the rest of the world. That's what we're here for. And again, I urge you, I hope you hear the theme here, don't grow numb to how crazy that is. We've heard that before. Like, yeah, I know, that's my job. I'm my responsibility. I'm supposed to go tell others about Christ. Don't grow numb to just how unthinkable it is that God would allow you to take place in this. I mean, it's, it's honestly like the most epic take-your-kid-to-work day, except your kid's actually driving the forklift, right? I mean, like, he's actually doing something. God commits the message of reconciliation to a bunch of sinful screw-ups like us? Why? Why would he do something like that? It's like, if you know my, my kids at all, I've, my middle son is Zion, he's, he's nuts, um, but uh, it's like when I tell him to go relay a message to his mother upstairs. <laughs> I'm telling you, there is a very, 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 very small chance that that message is going to be relayed accurately, okay? He's just, he's just all over the place, but that's us, right? I mean, that is who we are. We are, we are the children in this case, the irresponsible children who just screw things up. Why? Why would God do this? And first Peter actually says in one chapter one, verse 12, it says in in accordance with, uh, or in reference to God's plan, it says the angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. Think about that. The angels are in awe about what God's doing. What's going on here? This passage is clear that it is God doing the saving. God is doing the reconciling, and we'll make much of that here in a minute. But he is appealing to the world through us. So why? Why Why would he do this? I I don't understand the mind of God completely, so there are many reasons that I don't know why God does it this way. But one of the main reasons why God does it this way is because if God can accomplish his plan to reconcile the world to himself, using a bunch of screw-ups like us, how much greater does that make him look? He looks amazing. God does this for his glory, and he has every right to. Paul describes us, actually, in the chapter before. He describes us as clay jars. We're a bunch of nobodies, right? We're, We're a bunch of nobodies. But then Paul goes on to say, inside those jars is the amazing treasure of the gospel. That's amazing. God does this for his glory. God has made us ambassadors primarily to magnify how glorious he is. So say to the church, don't grow numb to this. If all this is true, then we need to be faithful stewards of this amazing responsibility, this amazing job that has been given to us. So let's ask a question The question is, how can we be faithful ambassadors? And that's what I want to do with the rest of our time. I just want to give you four suggestions as to how you can be, as a Christian, a faithful ambassador for Christ. The first suggestion is this. A faithful ambassador has an awareness of lost souls. Look at verse 16. 
Paul says, from now on, then, we do not know anyone from, world, from a worldly perspective. You can stop right there. Meaning that when you become a Christian, you're, you're a new creation, right? Verse 17. You're new. You're, you've been changed. You see people differently. Meaning you no longer view people simply as earthbound bodies, but as eternity-bound souls, right? The, the awareness of your spiritual life should lead to an awareness of the spiritual death that's around you. The awareness of your spiritual life should lead to an awareness of the spiritual death that's around you. So let me, let me ask you a question. In your everyday surroundings, how aware are you of those who are spiritually dead? Now, don't get me wrong. I, I'm not sitting up here telling you that, yeah, when you go to work, you need to be that obnoxious guy who just shoves religion down everybody's throat. Like, don't be that guy. Nobody likes that guy. Nobody listens to that guy, for the most part. Don't be that guy. But if I were to interview you about your coworkers, would you be able to tell me their spiritual state? And if you can't, why? And I'm talking to myself here, too. I'm, I, when I wrote down this question, I'm sitting here thinking, man, this is convicting to me, too. Not about my coworkers. Hopefully, for your sake, my coworkers are saved. But hopefully, I don't know. There's a couple of them. The guy who was giving announcements, I'm not too sure, but no. But I, I, I spend a good amount of time at my gym, and there are so many people I've had conversations with that I know, that I've talked to, that I have no idea where they're going when they die. No idea. To my shame. I'm not aware. I need to be aware. We need to have an awareness of the lost souls around us. And one simple way to be aware of the lost souls around you is to just simply get to know people. Ask them questions. And this may sound silly, but it has been overwhelmingly true in my life. Here's my challenge for you this week. Go out of your way to get to know the down and outers, the weirdos, the awkward people, right? The guys who are actually really hard to have conversations with. So I'm telling you, nine times out of ten, they are the ones who are most likely to have spiritual conversations with you. Simply because nobody's ever asked them before. Ask them. That's my challenge to you. Be aware of the lost souls around you. Secondly, a faithful ambassador has a passion for lost souls. Look at verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We plead, we implore, we beg on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. We plead with our emotions. Why? Because we love people. If you truly love someone that's sitting in front of you and you know that if they're going to die, they will spend eternity in hell, plead with them. Grab a hold of them. Tell them that they need to be reconciled with God because we care about them. And if I were to ask, I would guess most of you, if you have a passion for the gospel, you would say, darn right I have a passion for the gospel. But yet we refuse to open up our mouths about what we claim to be so passionate about. J.D. Greer says, it's hard for me to think of a topic I care about at all that I haven't talked about in the past six months. And I'll take it a step further. Forget six months. What about the past six days? Right? You care about politics. You've talked about politics in the past week. Right? You care about sports. You've talked about the Houston Astros cheating. Right? The coronavirus. You're all over it. But why don't we talk about souls? Why don't we talk about the gospel if this is what we are so passionate about? 
150,000 people die every single day, many of whom, Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, are on the broad road to destruction. Many. That's not just a number, right? That's, those are people. Those are moms, dads, brothers, friends, sisters. Don't view them as just people. Say the church, we have to start acting like we actually believe people are on their way to hell, right? And honestly, I think that unbelievers get this better than we do. Just the other day, I was talking to an unsaved buddy of mine, and he said, man, if I, if I was a Christian, I wouldn't be able to live with myself knowing that I'm on my way to heaven and my mom would be on her way to hell. I wouldn't be able to live with myself. Why don't we think like this? If you truly care about lost people in your life, you will plead with them to recognize their need to be reconciled to God. Faithful ambassador has a passion for lost souls. Thirdly, a faithful ambassador has a good theology. And this one has been probably the most vital in my life um, lately. Because we all have a role, right? We all have a role uh, in, in evangelism, in, in, in being an ambassador, but reconciliation is God's work. Right? Look at verse 18. Everything is from God who has reconciled. Verse 19, God was reconciling. Verse 20, since God is making his appeal. Verse 21, he, that is God, made him who knew no sin to be sin. Reconciliation is God's work. And I, I seriously cannot tell you how comforting this has been for me as being the new kid on the block, the evangelism director, just specifically this past year. This has rocked my world. Because when you realize, when you realize as an ambassador that your job is not to open the eyes of the lost, it's not to open the eyes of the lost, but rather to simply present the gospel through your words, and through your actions, when you, when you realize this, it takes all of the pressure off of you. I have uh, a friend who I have, uh, a young man who you can be praying for, um, who I have been meeting with and pleading with every single week for six months straight. Six months, every single week we get together. And I am just pleading with him to be saved. And yet he hasn't. He, he's just not saved. He says it's not for him right now. And my knee-jerk reaction is say, God, what the heck? I mean, I'm pleading with him. I'm doing everything right. Why aren't you saving him? It's so frustrating. But it's in these frustrating times that I am reminded that reconciliation is God's work. It's not my place nor my responsibility to know the mind of God. That has been a huge lesson to me. And honestly, it's within these frustrating times that God was teaching me two theological lessons. The first one was that I ought to be rejoicing in the souls that are being saved elsewhere. Right? I mean, so often we can just get so stuck in our own worlds that it's all about us. But God was just hammering this away at me, specifically in my devotions. When I was uh, reading in John 4, verse 36, Jesus says this, The reaper, that is the one that's actually leading people to Christ, that's seeing things happen, is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower, that is the ambassador who's out there, they're doing the work, but they're not seeing anything happen, right? They're not seeing any results. So that the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. 
That was beautiful to me when God taught me that. It was this overwhelming sense of, oh, I need to be rejoicing. That's the point of planting seeds is so that you can rejoice with anybody and everybody who's seeing the harvest come in. So rejoice in the work that God is doing everywhere. That's the first lesson he was teaching me. But the second one was that I ought to be praying a whole lot more than I am now. This one has been huge for me. A good theology of God's sovereignty and salvation should cause the faithful ambassador to get on their knees and pray every single day. J.I. Packer says this. He says, God will make us pray before he blesses our labor in order that we may constantly learn afresh that we depend on God for everything. Do you pray? I mean, like, do you really pray for lost souls? Is this in your bloodstream to care about these people who are lost? J.D. Greer asked this extremely penetrating question. He said, if all the prayers you prayed last week were answered, all of them, just boom, right there, how many souls would be saved? That's big. Pray, trust, pray that God will do his work in reconciliation. A faithful ambassador has a good theology. Fourthly and lastly, a faithful ambassador has an understanding of their role. Uh, oftentimes, I think we view evangelism as uh, 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 the role that only superstars can fill, right? It's only for the Billy Grahams. It's only for the Chuck DeCleans. You know, it's only for the Pat Nemers. It's, it's, that's who it's for. But yet we do recognize that we're commanded to go out and make disciples. Each one of us has a role on this team. And of course, some roles may be bigger and some roles may be smaller, but understanding your role on the team is essential for te the team's overall success. Now, I love basketball, and this is why I love playing with my older brother, Daniel. Not because he's any good. I mean, he's not any good at scoring, I should say. He's not. I love him, but he's not. But he understands his role. He understands that he needs the rebound, and he's really good at defending. And these aren't glamorous, right? But they're just as important, and so is your role. Don't tell yourself that your role, because it's, it may be small, is not important. It is just as important as the Billy Grahams out there because it's part of God's plan. It's part of God's plan for reconciliation. So let me make a, a couple of suggestions, or a suggestion, actually. When you think about the statement, I am an ambassador, when you think about that statement, because you are, whether you like it or not, you are an ambassador. Uh, I, I've heard that it's, it's helpful to put a blank at the end of the statement. So, so, say, so say this to yourself, I am an ambassador to blank. And then you fill in that blank in accordance with uh, your current situation in life. I am an ambassador to blank. So if you're working every day and you're going to work, maybe you would say, I am an ambassador to my coworkers. And then you can start to think, how can I be a better ambassador? How can I be aware? How can I plead with somebody? How can I build these relationships? If, or if you're a stay-at-home mom, let's say, then you would say, I am an ambassador to my kids. That role is no less important than Billy Graham's role. It is just as important. In fact, I can make the argument that it's more important. And John Leonard said to me one time, for those of you who are stay-at-home moms, he said, when you lead an adult to Christ, a soul is saved. But when you lead a child to Christ, a life is saved. Now think about that. Those of you who stay at home with your kids, your job 
is extremely important. Your role is extremely important. But fill in that blank on your own. Again, ask yourself, what is your role and who are you an ambassador to? So for you Christians, I want to leave you with one challenge for one person. One challenge for one person. Who is the one person that you can think of in your mind right now that doesn't know Christ that you can start to pray for, you can start to plead with, and you can start to plan for how you might present the gospel to them. Again, plead with them to be reconciled. One person. That's it. That's doable, all right? One person. A challenge for one person. But look at verse 16. Verse 16 says this again. From now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet we now know him no longer in this way. We no longer know Christ from a worldly perspective. I know that's not true of some of you in here. Some of you do know Christ from a worldly perspective. Some of you don't understand who God is. You've never truly seen God as this perfect righteous, holy God, and yourself as an imperfect human that is in desperate need to reconcile this relationship. You've never seen that need before. If you understand this, if you understand that Jesus is the answer, Jesus is the only way that you can reconcile that relationship, then today is the day to be saved. If you understand that, if you don't understand that, that's okay too. We want to answer these questions. Ask them. Come up to us. We want to walk through you, through with you, to answer these questions. But I plead with you, on behalf of Christ, if that's you here today, be reconciled to God. Let me pray. Dearly Father, Lord, I do thank you for this message. I pray that you would use it today. I pray that you would, if there is a soul in here that doesn't know you, I pray that you would reconcile yourself to them. Lord, I pray that you would save them. They would understand who you are. And Lord, I pray for the Christians in here as well. I pray that they would really see this responsibility as just that. It's a glorious responsibility. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't grow numb to this. Lord, I pray that you would just light Sayleville Church on fire and that we would go out of here like crazy people, just telling people about Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would Help us to see, or let us, allow us to see uh, results. We know we're not promised them, and we know that when we don't see results, we can still rejoice. But Lord, I pray that you would encourage us with seeing results as well. We love you in your son's name. Amen.